I changed the title, but it's okay. It's it's I changed the title. I think it's better than what I had actually at my church. And the title is Philadelphia in Silicon Valley. Philadelphia in Silicon Valley. Did you know you actually want Philadelphia here? Um, and the text is 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 7, and then verses 13 to 23. Um, listen, this is the word of God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let's go ahead to verse 13. I don't really like skipping that stuff in the middle, but just for the sake of time, we'll jump ahead to verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action... And being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him, As father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the times, in the last times, for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. Um, may the Lord bless the reading of his word. Let, let's, let's pray for today's message. I always feel a little sheepish in picking a, a lengthy passage like this and only preaching a, a short portion of it. There's so much incredible things taught in this chapter Um, which I wish I could get to, but I can't. But um, today, what we do preach, we preach about um, sincere brotherly love and about putting off our former corruptions and um, and phoniness, Lord, but to actually put on holiness. It is a strange and alien concept um, to a very crooked and corrupt culture such as ours, holiness. But I pray that you would take my weak lips and you would let this word come to life. And by your spirit, we sang that your spirit would speak today. May we, by your spirit, hear and receive this word and live unto your holiness. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, Let's just do a very tight um, review from, I guess it was September, right? Um, If you go to the next slide, in this you rejoice, this is verse six. So in this is that you were redeemed by Christ for what the Bible says, something that's undefiled, imperishable, undefiled and imperishable. 
don't even understand these language, okay? But that's what you were given, and I hope you do rejoice. Well, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, and here is the portion I focused on last time. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold. Do you remember that's what I talked about last time? Do you actually believe that your faith if it's genuine in Christ Jesus, it's, it's more precious than money. That's what we talked about last time. And, and then I challenge you that, you know, we live here and Silicon Valley, it's always about money. It's money, money, money all the time. You guys know what the rents are. A lot of you are young people. I'm sure you want to get married. If you are not already married, if you are married, if you have children, you are looking at what houses cost. Thankfully, the price have come down a little bit, okay? But the interest rates have gone up, and so it's money all the time. And then I also talked about, I dropped down to this other verse, verse 24. All flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And I said, so some of you, you may not chase after money, but you chase after some glory, and the Bible says that glory in the world is just like a flower. It blooms, and then it dies. So you will get that promotion at Apple or Google, or your startup will blow up, and then you'll have, you'll become rich overnight. That's why you came here, right? <laughs> you'll become rich overnight, and then that flower of glory will die. <laughs> it's strange. If you haven't met those people yet, you can meet them here in Silicon Valley. If you live in another part of the country, um, you haven't met anybody who became, became really rich really fast, and they retired in their 20s. But you can actually meet such people today, and you know what you'll find? Is you'll find that they don't think it was that glorious. Hmm. That's what I talked about last time. Something like that. And today I want to kind of move on to the next thing, which is, it talks about this strange thing, which is to be holy. And what does that look like? If the glory you're looking for in the world just dies like a flower here today, gone tomorrow, then what? What should life in Silicon Valley look like? And that's what we want to talk about today, okay? Okay. So part one, three parts, the longing for holiness. Did you know you want it? You actually want this weird thing called holiness, which in our secular culture, nobody thinks they want, but actually many, many people want it, okay? Part two, living in real Philadelphia. I'll tell you what that means in just a second, but that's what it looks like, okay? living in real Philadelphia, and then part three, abiding, the abiding Philadelphia of Jesus, okay? Part one, longing for holiness. Let's go to verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. So um, in our day, passion is considered a, uh, a good word because you get so bored, <laughs> And so if you have a feeling inside of you and you want something really, really bad, you still feel like you're alive. So passion is considered good. But in the Bible, that's not what passion means. Passion doesn't just mean a strong feeling. Passion means a desire that's messed up and disordered. That's what it always means in the Bible. The word passion in the Bible, it's bad, okay? It's that your desires are just screwed up. So what the Bible is saying is you did not know about Jesus. You had a former ignorance. And what we need to do is do not go back to these desires before you had Christ. You have to have a new set of desires. And here's what it says, verse 15. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, in all of it. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So this is God's commandment to his people. Why does God want you to be holy? Well, first, because he is. But do you know what? 
This is, I guess, I guess I can channel a little John Piper here. You know what the source of God's true and great joy is? It's because he's just God, right? And he's all-powerful. And he's all-powerful. And if we have power, then we'll be happy? No. That is not the way the Bible puts it. The true source of God's joy is that all of his goodness and his attributes are utterly balanced and pure, which we call holy, right? So God's joy is actually his holiness. And what he wanted from you was that. So that's really like the secret of a lot of John Piper's preaching right there, okay? Is that you would, if you would become like God, you would have the pleasure and joy of God. And so God isn't calling you to become this straight-laced religious person and let's go become this straight-laced religious person in everything that we do because that would be extremely boring, okay? And if that's the way you grew up in church and your church always is constantly pushing you to have good behavior all the time, then I'm sorry that's the way you grew up in church and that was pretty bad teaching, Maybe your parents are always constantly trying to get you to behave better, good conduct. And so when you hear this word holy, you just think, uh, be super good? (laughs) That is not what it means. What the Bible offers you, if God just wanted you to behave, he could just scare the heck out of you. (laughs) And that would be really, really boring, but that's not what he's interested in. He's interested in something profoundly powerful that you can have and be because holiness is never boring. Now, you go to verse 22. It just says this in so many different ways. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. See, purified souls, that's holiness. You know, you get a part in that. So, so the gospel is odd. Salvation is Utterly by grace. So don't hear something different from me. If I call you to a profound obedience, I'm never saying you're going to earn your salvation, okay? So don't hear that. Somehow, though, and if you know, here you're called to an obedience, you're like, oh no, I have to do this. And if I don't do this, I won't make it. I will go to the bad place, okay? Because Shane's odd. Salvation is holy by grace, and God's power for you is holy, fully by grace alone. And yet, you know what grace does in you? It calls forth in you sound, sound desires. That your desires will become ordered properly, and then you will, your desires will become more powerful and true and sustained like God's. So that true salvation isn't just, I just received forgiveness, thanks Jesus, new name, new destiny, forgiveness, And now I have fire insurance, and today I'll wake up and go after the money, right? If that's how you look at Christianity, you have a really bad view of Christianity because you understand what you've been given. What he gave you by grace is something so profound that will reshape you on the inside. And then, this is strange too. You are invited to chase after that gift, You're invited to actively receive that gift. So, I don't know, let's um, just try to use a little bit of a different um, illustration. Um, Did any of you grow up, you know, you you listened to a piece of music, whatever it was. Maybe it was K-pop, okay? Maybe it was Bach. That's what, what it was for me, Bach. Okay, I listened to Bach's Brandenburg Concertos, and then I wanted to play it. May, my, my wife listened to a K-pop song and she can sing it, even though she can't even understand. Well, she's Korean, but she can't even understand all the words she's singing, right? You know what that is? There's a gift of the beauty and now you're invited to more fully receive it. And in order to more fully receive it, it calls forth a new power to go and grasp after it. Mm. And so that's part of the drama of life here in Silicon Valley the, the, your company and the world is always dangling this little carrot after you. It has something to do with money and glory from the world, but that glory from the world is always perishing like a flower. But the glory that God wants to give you is imperishable and undefiled. 
You know, your company is always trying to offer you something. Do you know that it's defiled? <laughs> Did you know that? We, we, you, you, we'll give you this great, this, this great promotion. And, or you, you will get the stock option and then it'll blow up and then you'll have us money. Do you know that first they give that to you not because they love you <laughs> or because they even like you <laughs> or because they even want to reward you. You know why you get that? It's so they could use you. <laughs> so that at the beginning, you're going, wow, I actually made a bunch of money. And now tomorrow I'll make even more money so that they can enslave you better. <laughs> it's defiled. And you know what's even worse? You're defiled. <laughs> you're defiled. So your desire for it is all filled with the perishing and the corruptible. Because you're just so enslaved with the money and the flower that's dying. And so then when you get the money, it doesn't bless you. <laughs> if you don't have anything pure and more powerful inside you, you know what the money will do? It'll curse you. Um, I, uh, I think it was Planet Money. It's, it's, it's a podcast I really like from NPR. And they did an episode on what happens to people who win the lottery. You know the lottery number is getting crazier and crazier? You ever go to like uh, the gas station, you see the number? They, they have like three different numbers. There's the small number, that's the, like the cheap lottery ticket. And then, there's the big, you know, and then there's like two big giant numbers. And every now and then, are you like me? You're like, wow, $400 million. Which you, you don't actually get 400 million. It's like you get maybe half of it, okay? 200 million dollars. See, that's how realistic I am. I go, oh, 200 million dollars. If you don't have something more lasting and undefiled, that money will destroy you. And it's actually empirically evidenced. They actually, like, look at all, they've studied all the people who, who get that money. You know what it does? It destroys them. It's crazy. Their marriages fall apart. Their lives fall apart. A few years later, they don't even have the money anymore. Okay? So, verse 22. Oh, no, not yet. Not, that's not yet. So you, I just want to say this one more thing before we go. Move on to part two, which is, you know what you're looking for? You're looking for something better. You don't know it, but you're looking for a purity. Let's just use a different example. Um, a lot of you are single, right? And I presume most of you want to find the love of your life. <laughs> and then you want to get married. So you meet someone, and of course, you know, he needs to be super handsome. Or, you know, she's supposed to be gorgeous. But what if underneath all that gorgeousness was, I'm just interested in your money. All, that's it. I'll be super nice to you. You can even have this body. We, we, we can, you know, we, you, you want to you do it? I, I'll give that to you. And it's so easy today. It's crazy how easy. You know how, old, you know, you know how old I am? I am so old that the non-Christians who were in my dorm when I went to college, they thought hookups were disgusting. <laughs> That's how old I am. <laughs> That anybody, that if I, you know, I can go back to one of my non-Christian friends who are still, you know, secular, you know, agnostic people who don't believe in Jesus. If you told them their kids think it's a cool idea to have an F buddy, they go, they, they think it's, they don't want to puke. So what if you go on a date and the person on the other side of the date looks really gorgeous on the outside, but really just want to use you on the inside. See, don't you want, see, you, you already know, I'm already saying this to you, you want something more. You want something deeper. You want the love to be pure. <laughs> you don't, did you know that you're looking for holiness? That's actually what you're looking for. You're looking for holiness. So when you get to heaven, when we all get to heaven, you're going to meet somebody. 
It wouldn't just be awful. You get to heaven. You're like, well, I'm in eternity. I'm in heaven. You meet somebody, and then they lie to you, and then they want to use you. <laughs> but you know what's going to be great? It's never going to happen. <laughs> You're like, gosh, we've been here a thousand years, and nobody has tried to rip me off. <gasps> That's weird. <laughs> Every single person I meet, when they want to serve me, and bless me, it's always real. (laughs) You know what that'd be? Heaven. That's yours. You know that? If you're not looking forward to it, then you're still too enslaved. (laughs) Just live a little bit longer, and then you want it. You will look at whatever defiled thing that's being offered to you. The kids today have been listening to this word that the kids say, which is, I want something authentic. They're saying this. Maybe you say this. I hear kids today, non-Christians, unbelievers saying, I want something authentic. You know what they're saying? I wish it was pure. I wish the goodness was real. I wish for holiness. Hmm, that's strange. Let's go to part two. Here's this verse. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, I hope your truth, the truth of the gospel, that's what we're talking about here, will lead you toward an obedience. God is always trying to give you more, more and more, more of himself, more of his beauty, more of his glory, the glory that's far greater than a flower which dies tomorrow. But he doesn't want you to sit on your rear end and just go like, whatever, because he wants you to grow into the full adulthood, to the full sonship, to the full being a full daughter of God and to become like him. And so... There's an obedience to the truth. And what does it look like? So I'm just trying to cut to the chase. I preached this right after I came back from my sabbatical because all throughout my sabbatical when I was away, I was thinking, what is it that I want our church to kind of get that they will look like so that when our neighbors in Silicon Valley who are being offered the defiled and who don't know that they're defiled, but they are defiled, and always chasing after the perishable, that maybe we can signal to them there's something more. And here it is. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. For a real and true brotherly love. And that word brotherly love, maybe you've heard this word. That word, there's only one word there in the Bible. It's not two words. It's Philadelphia. That's what it means. So I lived in Philadelphia for many, many years. Let me tell you, it's not the city of brotherly love. (laughs) Okay? It is the city of a lot of anger and hatred. And we're like, wow, this city is, you know, it's really badly named. Okay? Um, But, you know, one of the reasons I actually love your church is because you preach the gospel here. And you want to be a gospel-centered church. Do you know there needs to be about a thousand more renewals in the Bay Area? That'd be a good start. I hope revive we're like you. That's two at least. And now let's get 998 more. That'd just be a good start. There's more. Thankfully, there's more. But you know what? They're not anywhere near enough. Now, our neighbors, and even you, each other, Okay, if you grew up in the church or somewhere along the line, you came to faith in Jesus through the gospel, that's great. But the problem with even a lot of Christians is the gospel is a news and a concept that lives in your head and doesn't live yet enough in your heart and in your actions in your life. Now, our neighbors, they don't even know this thing that the Son of God died the death we deserve to die to give us a life and a grace that we utterly would never be able to earn. 
and what he's giving us is far better than anything the world could ever even possibly offer. Our neighbors don't even know that. That's the gospel. But you know what? They're not going to just hear your words because you know what? They're like, hey, all your words, you know, I'm used to everybody lying to me. (laughs) In fact, so many people today, some of them even grew up in church and maybe all they heard wasn't the gospel. They just heard legalism. (laughs) So when they hear holiness, they just think, just try better and be nicer. (laughs) And they're like, that's boring. And I just felt judged all the time because you know what? Here is, we all know, we are not holy. And if it was based on your performance, you and I are not going to make it. You're not even going to make it tomorrow, let alone make it to heaven. But nonetheless, how can people start to get it? Think back to whenever you came to faith in Jesus. Maybe it happened when you were eight. Maybe it happened when you were 16. Maybe it happened when you were 32. Who knows? I'll bet you somewhere along the line in 99% of your cases, somebody gave you Philadelphia. Somebody loved you like you were family. They didn't just love you like a friend. And they were just there for you when it was convenient. They loved you like family. You know, you're, okay, most of you probably have a brother or sister, right? Um, you know when you're loving them the best? When they really stink. <laughs> when they're really annoying and really inconvenient. So you're not feeling it. <laughs> so today, in America, love is all about feeling. But you know when real Philadelphia happens? When you go... <laughs> And why did you do that again? And I have to pick up the pieces for you, my little brother, yet again? I'll do it. That's Philadelphia. And it's not easy. It's hard. But do you know that our neighbors, and even you, is actually really what you want? And if somebody gives that to you, You're going to taste something of heaven. Now, I want to give you an extended illustration before we go to part three. And um, I got this illustration from reading sports, okay? So let's go to the slide here. Um, One of my favorite basketball writers is a guy named Jonathan Charks, okay? That's what he looks like. He's the guy over here. That's his wife. That's his son. And he writes for The Ringer. Anybody read The Ringer here? Anybody read The Ringer? Gosh, I thought it was a popular website. Please read The Ringer, (laughs) because it's a really great website, and if you don't read The Ringer, it'll die, and then I will be sad. (laughs) Okay? Um, But uh, Jonathan Charks writes for The Ringer, or at least he used to, because um, he's dying of cancer right here. And uh, see the dates? He died last year. (laughs) And um, he wrote an incredible essay which I'm going to give you pieces of today, a piece of today, because, man, it's one of the best things I ever read (laughs) on a sports website. (laughs) It's crazy. (laughs) So a little backstory on Jonathan Charks. Um, He did not grow up in the church at all, didn't know, but um, he became a Christian. I think it was in his early 20s. Um. But then he talks about other things about his background and shares in a rather forthright and um, even painful way. And this beautiful essay that he wrote called, Does My Son Know You? Does My Son Know You? Very, very relevant to this issue of real Philadelphia. And I guess this is what I want to say to you. This guy's story it might as well just be your story. I feel like I know him. I feel like when I read him, that guy could just be in my church. He could be your neighbor. <laughs> um, he could be in this church. And it's a question about what does love look like in the church, okay? So, here we go. You know, indulge me here. You can pretend like you're in second grade and the teacher's going to read. 
And you can put your head down if you want. I'll do a little reading, okay? This is Jonathan Charks, Does My Son Know You? My dad was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease when I was six. Most people know Parkinson's from Muhammad Ali or Michael J. Fox and the shaking they see, that's only the beginning. Parkinson's gradually robs you of your ability to control your body. My dad went from needing a cane um, to walk to a back brace and then a walker and finally a wheelchair. Then things really went south after he had his open heart surgery. His body never recovered. He had to take so much medicine um, that it became hard to talk. He was there, but he was no longer really there. You get what he's saying, right? I was 12. That's the age when your parents go from authority figures to actual people. That never happened for me and my dad. We never really got to know each other. He went to the club. I think this is what he means is the workout place, like 24-hour fitness. All the time before he got sick, it had tennis and racquetball courts and a swimming pool and outdoor track. It's where he made most of his friends. Everyone was supportive at first. They brought us food, drove him places, and got him in and out of the car, but those visits slowly dried up over time. My dad kept getting sicker and could no longer do things that, that, he, that he had um, that he did, which is how he got the friends in the first place. People moved or had kids, and they got busy at work. Even the Christmas cards stopped coming, and by the end, the only people who stopped by the house were nurses and healthcare workers. Those are exactly the kind of friends many of you probably have in Silicon Valley, right? Let me ask you think about this. All your coworkers and your friends and your neighbors, these are the only friends they have. That's it. These are the friends that they have. They don't have, they may have zero, like zero friends who will be the exception to this, okay? My dad died when I was 21. There were a bunch of people at his funeral whom I hadn't seen in years. They all told me how sorry they were and asked whether there were anything they could do. All I could think was, I don't know any of you. I know of you. I've heard of your names, but I don't actually know you. The lie that society tells us is that our friends can be our family. That's the premise of TV shows like Friends, Seinfeld, How I Met Your Mother. Any of you guys watch any of those shows? Am I so old that these shows are like, you guys don't watch them? All right. We can all leave our hometowns behind and have exciting adventures in the big city with people that we meet, and those people will love us and take care of us and be there for us. That's what the TV show shows us, right? Actually, your company might even call you family, right? Don't believe them. When they call you family, that's defiled. <laughs> I assure you, that's a total lie. Complete, big, 100% whopper lie. Don't believe them. They're not your family, okay? So, um, life is more like what happened to the actual actors on Friends. Their TV reunion was the first time that all six had been together in years. They still cared about each other to a certain degree, but they had grown apart. They were living in different cities and working different jobs. It couldn't be the same as it was when they were all single and working on the same TV set. Americans tend to put our careers first and move around the country. That's what my parents did. My dad was from Nebraska. My mom was from the Philippines. I grew up in Dallas. That's a long way from their families. My parents tried to form a community. That's an important word. Community. That's another way that a lot of you in your generation, do you know that when I was young, 
when I was your age, which is you know, like a thousand years ago. And everybody didn't go, community, community, oh, community is so great. Everyone's all of community. And then 10 years later, every church started calling themselves something community church. Community. Community. You know why? Because you don't have it. <laughs> Silicon Valley is super lonely. It's one of the things I just noticed. It's lonely. You came here from some other city to make it. Just like all the other career people in America. Jennifer Anderson left this set and went to a different set. She moved to New York. Okay? I mean, you know, she's super successful in her field. But that's the way we're doing it. And then community. That's difficult. My parents tried to form a community where they lived, but they didn't really have one. Not one that lasted. And jump ahead to um, a little bit about what he talked about, what it was like when he came to church. See, I mean, he didn't grow up in church. So he honestly starts talking about church, which is incredible. I was nervous the first time I went to a life group. You guys, what do you guys call it at your church? Community group. Community group. Oh, community group. Isn't that right? <laughs> community group. Life group. Okay, at our church, we call it family. Gospel life family. Okay? And that's why I preach Philadelphia. <laughs> They're your family. <laughs> so the whole sermon was to get people to get to get into GLF, Gospel Life Family, and then practice Philadelphia. That's, that's, that's the agenda. That's why I was preaching this, and that's what I'm trying to do today. Here's what he said. I was nervous the first time I went to a life group. I joined a church the week before, and one of the pastors, a guy a few years older than me, invited me. It was a smaller group of people who met at his house every week. I remember walking up to the door and not knowing what to expect on the other side. There were about a dozen people in the living room talking to each other. I didn't know any of them besides the pastor, and I barely knew him. I didn't know what to do, so I did what most people would do. I headed over to the table with the snacks. <laughs> That's why you have snacks here, okay, by the way. So that the people go, I don't know anybody. Dang it, this is super awkward. And I don't want to admit that I'm lonely and friendless. So they come to church, don't know what to do. So coffee sounds good. You know what coffee is? It's like, the clothes that you wear when you're naked. If you hold this little piece of coffee, <laughs> you don't feel like a total loser. Like, I'm drinking coffee here. Jesus gives you righteousness, which clothes the shame of your nakedness in your sin. He gives you justification by faith alone. But if you don't have faith, you walk into your church and you're like, oh, coffee. <laughs> anyway, that's what he did at his life group. Any of you ever been there? I bet you have. I bet you, you all can relate to this. Some of you are sitting right here today. This might be your first day at church. Welcome to church. Please go to life group, community group. And if you're super awkward, it's okay. They are too. They're all just faking it too. There might be a crowd at the snack table at whoever's house it is. So this guy was a pretty new Christian. So he had no idea how to do small group. So um, don't you want that in your church? Don't you want some, you know, guy who's some kind of Asian dude? <laughs> like Filipino, some, you know, white ethnic and he doesn't know what to do himself in church or in life group. This is how they're going to feel. And you can relate. He goes on. Eventually the chatter died down and everyone sat in a circle in the living room. They all introduced themselves with an icebreaker. That's so fun. Not always, okay? But you guys, you know, we just do it so that everybody can feel less weird, okay? 
Something about their favorite TV show, their favorite snack. I was thinking either I'm supposed to say I'm an alcoholic or this is a cult. But nothing that exciting happened. They sang a few songs and they talked about the Bible for a while. At the end of the meeting, everyone paired off to pray for each other and the pastor asked me what I thought of the group. Then he asked me if I would come back. I said, uh, I guess, but I wasn't sure. Is that how you feel? You just show up at that community group. I feel it. <laughs> community. <laughs> this is what I've been wanting. Right? No, you know what you're going to say? Like, These people really love each other? Is that real? You know what you're asking? Holiness. Is it real? Is it authentic? Do they have real friendships here? Will they care about me here? You're asking about holiness. So, you could totally relate to what he's doing, saying, I hope you can relate. That was seven years ago, so he came back apparently. <laughs> some of those strangers from the house that first night are now some of my closest friends. It didn't happen overnight. It took me a long time to feel comfortable. I usually came after the life group had already started and left as soon as it was over. There's some of you, that's probably what you're thinking. I can't wait for this to be over. And then I'm going to be like, out of here. And then I check my box. I did church. But I was seeing the same people every week, and I was telling them about my problems, and they were telling me about theirs. Do that for long enough, and you become friends. You get to know enough people that way, and life group goes from being an obligation to something you look forward to. Making the commitment to come every week is still hard. He's been there for seven years. He's habituated his life into this. He's made it a priority. But he still admits it's hard still. It's still hard, okay? And so, you know, like an hour before you're going to go, if you have kids, I, I, I'm just telling you, they are going to become super annoying at that exact moment. Your three-year-old is going to spill the milk and act like a total idiot an hour before community group. Your roommate is going to spring something on you or your boss is going to spring something on you and you're going to go, yeah, I mean, I just won't go. Don't listen to that voice. There are always other things to do. Sometimes you're tired or you had a long day or you just don't feel like it. You don't feel like it. It gets even harder once you get married and have kids. It, it, it does. Now, I want to just say a little something. I, 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 some of you are going to, as soon as you have kids, your community group won't see you for three years. Don't do that. If you do that, I promise you your marriage is going to go south. Your faith is going to go south you're going to start getting darkness. Do not do that. It'll be hard. My wife and I did it. Oh, man. We had three little kids <laughs> checking to, to a community group. Our church called the community group back then, the one we were to. And that, that, at that time, the church was majority white. So they, don't, they really don't know how to love this Korean-American couple from California. They're all from Philadelphia. They were from Philadelphia, the city of brotherly angriness. Okay? But... In that house, they had real Philadelphia. <laughs> I'm glad we went every week. You should do it too. I didn't do it every week because I'm the pastor, because I wasn't the pastor. If I wanted to be lazy at that time, because I was in graduate school at that time and PhD work, I was ordained pastor, but if I didn't feel like going, I could have done it. I went because I badly needed it. My wife were like, dude, these white folks in this church are a little odd. <laughs> we don't know how to connect to them very well. But we stuck it through, and they loved us. Okay? The people are not always easy to deal with. You may not have a lot in common. common. You have to search for things to talk about. You can be vulnerable with people, and they don't always respond how you would expect. And you certainly won't agree with them on how they see the world. 
The past two years have not been easy. Um, yeah, not been easy. If you thought you had a hard COVID, it wasn't anywhere near as hard as his. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. Anybody who had a hard COVID, probably somebody else had it harder. Our life group met over Zoom for a while. People asked me whether I have to be more careful because of my condition and the pandemic, which is true. He does have to be more careful. But it's really the opposite. Think of how he sees it. I don't have the luxury of waiting for life to get back to normal. This might be the only time that I have. I can't imagine not being in a life group at this point. Human beings aren't supposed to go through life as faces in a crowd. It's like the song from Cheers. Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. If you don't know where that reference comes from, then you're just young, okay? Life group is a different kind of insurance. I really think it's great. It's very interesting. Church offers you something. He gives it a secular label, insurance. People talk a lot about medical insurance and life insurance when you get sick. But relational insurance, relational insurance is far more important. The wisdom of Jonathan Charks, which is actually just the same wisdom as 1 Peter, okay? I didn't need my dad's money but between the age 12 through 21, when he was fatherless, and I'm sure his teenage years were hard, I could have used some of my dad's friends. That's the way he put it. He quotes a couple Bible passages. Learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. You know where that's from? Isaiah 1.17. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. Exodus 22.22. You know why he cares about those Bible passages? Because his mom was a widow and he was fatherless. And you know what's about to happen? It's about to happen to his own kid and to his own wife. There are hundreds of verses like this. And I already told some of my friends, when I see you in heaven, there's only one thing I'm going to ask. Were you good to my son and to my wife? Were you there for them? And here's the question. Does my son know you? I don't want Jackson to have the same childhood that I did. I want him to wonder why his dad's friends always come over and shoot hoops with him. Why they always invite him to their houses. Why there are so many of them at his games. I hope he gets sick of them. One thing I have learned from this experience is that you can't, care, can't worry about, all, about things that you can't control. I can't control what will happen to me. I don't know how long I'll be there for my son. All I can do is make the most of the time that I have left. And this is interesting. This is what he decided he was going to do with the time he had left, which wasn't a lot. That means I'm going to invest in other people so they'll be there for him. He decided to practice Philadelphia out of the hope that those people would practice Philadelphia to his son. (laughs) That's real. Okay? Now let's close. Man, that was heavy, Pastor. And now I feel pretty guilty. Now you're ready to hear the gospel. If you don't feel guilty, then you're not human. I did it on purpose. I really stuck it to you. But now I want to give you something better. Verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love... Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. That's the command. But now, let's get to the gospel. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. 
A seed has been placed into your life. It will never die. You can always go back to that seed. Okay? So you may feel like you're dying. Your love for other people is dying. You ain't feeling it. You don't want to go to community group. You don't want to love this person because they're just like your little brother and you sometimes can't stand your little brother. So you're not feeling it. But the seed has been placed in you and it's never going to die, okay? And here it is. Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. That's what's been placed in you, this seed. That seed is the gospel. <laughs> it's a good news. So here's this question. How can I possibly live in real Philadelphia, Pastor? I really am selfish and lazy. <laughs> I like Netflix better than the people in my community group. I really do. Okay, you won't say that out loud, but you can say it right now in your head, okay? Just pretend like you're having a conversation with me, but you actually really need to say that to Jesus. You know, here's a great gift. The gospel is not just a word inside of you, and that word is imperishable. In the word is the word himself. Or as the Bible put it, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was actually God. That's John chapter 1, 1. Go drop down a little later, verses 1, 14. And then the word became flesh. And he came to dwell among us. This passage says that the word is living and abiding. Living and abiding. So, let's close this way. Do you know that you are are all and I are all just some combination of Jonathan Charks and his son Jackson. So like Jonathan, you know, you, you show up at the community group and you're like, oh, is there any real love for me here? Let's go to the coffee. And then it's hard to go because we're distracted and we're like, oh, just, okay, the flower of glory, Netflix. That's easier. The flower, which tomorrow, if I watch this episode of this, but then the glory will be gone tomorrow. You already know that, right? It's, it's not even gone tomorrow. It's gone by the time you go to bed. <laughs> but at community group, maybe something else could happen. And so we are distracted, always constantly going toward the perishable. That's how we're like Jonathan. But you know, I think he had wisdom. And I don't think he had wisdom because he's so wise. I think he had wisdom because the imperishable word abide in him. Jesus indwelled him through the Holy Spirit. And every time he forgot, maybe Jesus would whisper by the Spirit, you should go. I'll love you there through them. Can you be like Jonathan, and you are like Jonathan, but we remember that Jesus, the abiding word, who will never perish and never leave you, you know what he's offering you? Brotherly love. He is the son who invites you into the family and said, I died the death you deserve. So you could be my brother. You could be my sister. And the Philadelphia, my Philadelphia for you, will never end. Mm. Can you remember that? And receive that. And we're also like Jackson. We live like orphans, without a father, without a brother who will love us with real Philadelphia. Instead, we're 
self-sufficient Silicon Valley careerist. <laughs> I'm not weak. I'm not needy. I'm just going to go, I can do it. And then when I'm at church, I'm not going to be vulnerable because that, that would be, look, look you know, kind of pathetic and weak. But you're, you're an orphan or you're living like one. Why don't you let your father love you? Why don't you let your brother, the son of God, pour out Philadelphia on you? And he's odd. He says, I'll pour out Philadelphia on you through him. <laughs> and you know what? I will, you, I will pour out Philadelphia on him through you. Could you receive that? And then he washes away the orphaned heart. He pours it and washes away with the power of his blood and the power of his spirit. <laughs> and you know what it feels like? Holiness in the form of genuine Philadelphia. It is this Philadelphia from your brother Jesus who will enable you to persevere and love others, even the Jonathan Charks and widows like Melissa and fatherless boys like Jackson. Remember that they're not that different from you. They are you. If God brings them into your life, no matter their race, their poverty, love them persistently in ways that you can with a genuine Philadelphia in, with, and through Christ. Because the everlasting, imperishable, undefiled glory of God's Philadelphia has been given to you through Jesus. Look for that. I just want to close this way. Um, your non-Christian friends and neighbors, they don't give a rip about this thing called God but they badly want to be loved. <laughs> they badly want you to love them more than their friends. <laughs> they want a holiness like Philadelphia. But actually, you want it too. And if you begin to try to go there, even though you're bad at it, it's okay. <laughs> the seed of that word in you is Christ himself and if you keep going back to the well of imperishable word who abides in you, Philadelphia just keep pouring out of you. <laughs> and this church will become like heaven. Heaven is Philadelphia forever. <laughs> what Silicon Valley needs is a lot more Philadelphia. And when your friends and you experience the Philadelphia of Christ, your brother, people will run to Jesus. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord, such a corrupt and defiled people are we. And I lift up to you, Melissa Charks and his son, Jackson. I lift up to you, the Jacksons and Melissas of this city. Yeah, they, they often are invisible to us busy Silicon Valley citizens. But make us citizens of your city of God. And you, our brother Jesus, thank you that you went to the cross so that all our terrible, weak, and pathetic ways that we do quote-unquote love and our friends can be washed by your blood. And then you would continue to abide with us fleshly, weak, insecure, needy people trying to cover up neediness with coffee. What a sad way to cover that up. Maybe it would be a little better if we just say, I'm needy. That's why I'm at church. That's why I need you, brothers and sisters. That's why I need Jesus. Would you pour out your spirit into this church?
There's this wonderful, beautiful church. And let your Philadelphia absolutely overflow. Every community group, every worship time, every conversation, we pray that your Philadelphia would overflow. Thank you that the power for this is from you, Lord Jesus, not from us. That even as we seek to obey you and our obedience is poor, that the real power is by grace. Help us to live in that grace by faith. (laughs) Faith which is active. Faith which offers up real Philadelphia. In Jesus' name. Amen.